0: chase thomas
2: podcast. the chase thomas podcast (laughs) um my nephew needs
3: me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right hello and welcome back to another episode of the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee up there in new
0: york city
3: new york city john taylor of Uh, fangraphs.com john good evening sir how are you
0: I am doing all right here in New York City, um, mm-hmm. It where it is a very seasonable 51 degrees, mm-hmm. where we finally got snow last week for all of like an hour. Mm-hmm. It was like maybe a quarter of an inch. It barely accumulated. It disappeared immediately. This has been a really weird winter up here.
3: So it's not. was that the first snow this winter yes. for you in New we York? We
0: did not get snow until the beginning of February. Wow. Yeah. That's it weird. is, I think, an all-time city record now for the latest, uh, the latest first snowfall. Hmm. In a, are you in a, a snow
3: guy? Do you like it?
0: I, I. So the the funny thing about New York with snow is, and I think this is true of a lot of major metropolitan areas when they get snow, is it's really pretty when it falls, and then it settles on the ground and quickly turns into a gray ice slush, and you're like, oh wait, no, snow is bad again. Hmm. So I, I love the aesthetics of snow. The reality of it in a big city is horrible, um, hmm. especially because New York. New York despite the fact that we are in the northeast and snow is a regular occurrence at least up until this year does not know how to remove snow properly like mm-hmm. it, it is like southern city levels bad when it comes to that stuff like mm-hmm. the streets get plowed but the sidewalks are uh, sidewalks are left up to the individual businesses and residences that are on the street as in you know your building is responsible for your patch of sidewalk to clear it So, you know, some places are good about that. Some places are not. And then when you have an abandoned, an empty storefront or a building, you know, where there's no one living there, you just have this impassable like snow, like, like, uh, what are the mountains that they try to get over in the Lord of the Rings in the, in the first movie before they have to go through the mines of Moria? you look like i just started speaking in a completely different <laughs> language just then
3: john i didn't want to break i just there's no easy way to say i've you're not, not
0: you, it's okay you're not a, you're not a nerd on that level like no
3: no I it never it. it never got me i was never a lord of the rings person
0: okay that's entirely fair um
3: game of thrones though read all the books big game of thrones guy did okay, harry potter growing go. up
0: but like go.
3: lord of the rings just never i don't know narnia Lord of the Rings. I, mean, just I never... look,
0: I, I here's a funny thing. I love yeah. the Lord of the Rings movies. I yeah. tried reading the Fellowship of the Ring and just gave up a third of the way through. I, I for some reason Tolkien's writing just does not hmm. land with me. But I, I very much enjoyed the movies as a young nerd.
3: I think the writer who I I wanted to go in liking, or not even just going in liking, but I remember being really depressed at how much I hated it and couldn't get through. It was William Faulkner. I remember reading hmm. the first Faulkner book and I was like, nope this is wow this guy's the, not gonna work.
0: okay you were you're not a southerner anymore then i know
3: that's what i'm saying like he's it just it's not my style it's not my thing but here's the way i get back in good graces and I, I remember being embarrassed about this john and now mm-hmm. i'm like I, i'm not embarrassed about it anymore okay. john grisham's an excellent writer like john grisham i have sure. read so many books and i used to be like am i gonna be the guy who just who wants to talk to you about the pelican brief Is that gonna be me is, is that so, so
0: you were you were loving in retrospect when you went back and found them all the that that run in the early to mid '90s mm-hmm. where every John Grisham book got turned into a movie, yeah, like Runaway Jury, uh, yes. Pelican Brief, all mm-hmm. those others. And I, I I can't hate on that. I I don't think I've ever read a John Grisham book start to finish, mm-hmm. but I definitely was into Michael Crichton as a as a mm-hmm. young person. So I, I wasn't totally one of those that. guys though. Yeah. Uh,
3: um by no, the way the, the mount
0: the mountains that they were crossing were the mount were the misty mountains across Moria, and they were trying to go through the pass at Caradras. Karadras also called the red horn and the berezen bar hmm so for any lord of the rings dorks who are listening and who got infuriated when i could not remember the name of the mountain i'm i'm, I'm here i heard you you are there you, you are seen
3: i just read camino island last year by grisham it was a delight man like it's just, is he still he, is he still alive yes okay. don't kill off john grisham we kill I don't know on this show no he's 70 years old yeah he's a healthy 70 the man's doing yeah. great stephen king's sneaky older than you think i think king's like no. i
0: mean that that makes sense to me king's been writing since the late 70s like you know that that king is another guy where it's like when he dies it's gonna be like well yeah he's been around for, yeah he's 75 years old
3: like, i was gonna say yeah he turned 76 this year like he's in the back half of his 70s like he's sneaky yeah. older than you would think yeah, his uh, first
0: novel was Carrie, and that was seventy four. So, or I think that was his first novel. But either way, like, yeah, he's he's been writing for a very long time.
3: I respect it. I like reading those guys' grinds and like how they approach their day and stuff like that. And he's just like yeah, he's he's not a famous guy. Like he just he does his own thing. He still lives in Maine. Like he has his corgis, and he's just writing away. He's happy. Does his yeah, little routine.
0: It seems like a nice. It's like the same way like Tom Clancy for a while. They're just continually yeah. churned out geopolitical thrillers until he died. <laughs> And then he, his name just got lent to a bunch of like, I mean, for the last like five or 10 years, I think Clancy wasn't writing those books anymore. He mostly just yeah. handed them off to a, a co-author, a la hmm. James Patterson, who has all those uh, serial killer thrillers, I think is yeah. similar, where he's not really writing those books anymore. It's mostly, you know, James, a James Patterson novel as written by like, you know, whatever uh, ghost writer type person he happens to have found. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I respect the grind of the airport uh the airport writers, you know, they, they got to I mean, keep look at turning at the
3: Rolex, like you would think you would run into a wall at some point, but the Grisham's and the Kings of the world, they just keep moving. They just keep pumping them out. And you're like, it's just unbelievable to think about they, how many pages they've the, written. They
0: are the Nick Markakis's of the, <laughs> of the publishing game. Just every day they're out there cranking, Mm-hmm. Can I just say, like, and, and <laughs> to, to to wrap up that Nick Markakis tangent, mm-hmm. I really wanted him to get the 3,000 hits because I really wanted that to be the worst Hall of Fame debate ever. Mm. To be like, there is not a single 3,000 member of the 3,000 hit club, with the exception of Pete Rose, not in the Hall of Fame. But good lord, can you imagine if they put Nick Marcakis in the Hall of Fame?
3: How close did he get?
0: Uh, he was like 200 some short. Like Markakis. If nothing else, going. that's kind of if I, I didn't know it was that he could close hit like Nick Markakis could hit his final career hit total was oh no, I was way off. He was just shy of 2400. Mm. But so I mean, yeah. Yeah, he would have needed at least like four or five more good seasons to get there. But I was rooting for it. And I think similarly, and it's not going to happen. But there was a little a little stretch of time there where it looked like Starlin Castro. Because Starlin Castro was just the emptiest 175 hits every single season. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just kind of started to feel like, yo, if he just keeps cranking these out, like. But no, Starlin. Actually, I, I don't even remember when the last time. Like, when was the last time we saw Starlin Castro?
3: It was on the Marlins, right? Was he a Marlin? Did he
0: play last year? It was either no last way, year or right? two
3: years ago. He was a Marlin. I remember okay. that. He, and he was a Yankee before that.
0: He played in 2021 for the yeah. Nationals and was very bad. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, he spent his last four years of his career Miami, Miami, Washington, Washington. So he more or less mm. disappeared after he left the Yankees in 2017. But because he was and part of the giancarlo 32. Stanton trade, that's and that's the other thing. Like when <sighs> when when Castro was picking up all these hits, it was like, look, he's not a good player anymore, at least. But he debuted so young, yeah, that like it was one of those things where it's like, dude, if you just if you manage to find a team that will pay to employ you, some garbage rebuilding team like Washington. Mm. And you just want to grind out like 10 to 12 more years of doing this you might get like it, it wasn't gonna happen because i think i'm looking i'm looking at sarlan castro's uh uh career hits total right now and he's at seventeen twenty two so he, he barely even got halfway there before his career effectively ended but like
3: but he was on the right path because of how young he was and how good he was because i mean he's 32 now like if he had been able to keep this thing going he would have been a sneaky yeah, and, candidate for that
0: and that's and that's when you consider too the last four to five years of his career were effectively below replacement level like if he'd yeah. managed to extend the the viable parts of his career until 32 and was now entering mm-hmm. the kind of five-year stage of being like uh, basically being a you know a journeyman kind of utility infielder like. I, I mean, he probably doesn't get to 3,000, but I mean, we're still talking about a guy who might end up with, like, 2,400 career hits, which is absolutely wild when you consider that it's Starlin Castro. I mean, again, Nick Marcake has finished with almost 2,400 career hits. That's Bam. a lot of hits. That is a lot of hits. And a lot of
3: hits that nobody saw because yeah, so no, much like of it was a, spent on bad Baltimore them, teams.
0: I was going to say, a lot of them on bad Orioles teams that mm-hmm. nobody cared about. But it's... Anyway, so there, there is there is our our weekly nick marcakis tangent
3: well i mean we joke that this is basically a baltimore orioles at jace podcast like what we are doing for the baltimore sports community week in week out john is uh second to none
0: i thought this was a i thought this was a braves podcast
3: well the braves i mean we won they're (laughs) just the the staple like the braves the staple like i don't want to rub it in because the braves and the red Sox are trending in two different uh directions at the moment john and to say the least
0: to Mm -hmm. say the least well, don't forget, folks,
3: uh, every single Thursday uh, during the offseason, uh, John and I will be talking all things Major League Baseball on this very program. Uh, follow John uh, for the Broken website at J A. Taylor, and then uh, keep up with the good folks over there at Fangraphs.com. Uh, you can also email us if you have any Major League Baseball questions you would like John or myself to answer on the pod. Feel free to email us at Podcast at Gmail. Uh you can also watch us. Yeah, we're on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe. Full episodes, clips, all the good stuff over yonder. Um John, Brian Reynolds, he rejected a contract extension from the Pirates because the man has had enough of playing uh irrelevant baseball. Um in Wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. I
3: would be kind of like because the the, it's such a beautiful park that I would be kind of like, you know. I'll never play in an important game, but like it's a really good place <laughs> to go to work. Like the the vibes here, the the beauty night in night, or day in, day out is pretty nice. Like it's a yeah, pretty look, good look.
0: If all you want to do is clock in and get paid, there are way p- worse places to do it than Pittsburgh. Like, yeah,
3: PNC Park's a good place to clock in. It's clock beautiful. At you go mm-hmm.
0: there, you have your Iron City, you eat a pierogi, you stand in right field for a little bit. Also, I, I do want, I, I'm sorry, because I just finally got the career hits list. Mm-hmm. I do just want to close this off. Here, here are the players Nick Markakis has more career hits than. Oh no. Ryan Sandberg, Lou Whitaker, <laughs> Alan Trammell, Carlton Fisk, Barry Larkin, Bernie Williams, Jim Tomey, Eddie Matthews, Jeff Bagwell, Kirby Puckett. Uh, I could go on for quite some time with this. Willie McGee, Ron Santo, <laughs> Edgar Martinez. Nick Markakis has more career hits than Edgar Martinez, than Mike Schmidt, than Willie Stargell. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer, John. I no, think we're not played. doing this. He he had more career hits than Joe DiMaggio, which granted DiMaggio only played 13 seasons, but mm-hmm. more career hits than Willie McCovey, more career hits than Willie Randolph, more career hits than Keith Hernandez, than Will Clark, than Yadier Molina, than Maglio Ordonez, than Larry Walker, than Don Mattingly, than Yogi Berra, mm-hmm. the, than, the, than Ken Griffey Sr., <laughs> than Jose Reyes, than Moises Alou, Maury Wills, Mike Piazza, Joe Maurer, Duke Snyder. Anyway, I'm just, I'm going to stop naming guys now, but I I find that just fascinating that like, and granted the funny thing is 2,388 career hits is still mm. only 127th all time. It's this game is so incredibly hard. Like it's so incredibly hard to play. It is. Um, it's, it's really something, but uh, I also should know what I said before. Every member of the 3000 hit club is in Cooperstown that's missing obviously uh miggy carrera ichiro pujols and um adrian beltray all of whom will be hall of famers in the future and of course alex rodriguez who is never going to be a hall of famer so
3: Hmm. do you want to do 40 minutes on if a rod's a hall of famer john
0: no no i do not no
3: no i don't want to either um give me a deal though for brian reynolds that makes sense what what kind of deal makes the most sense for you
0: so when you say deal do you mean financial or trade
3: no because financial we'll see like i just he's still well, i don't I, know one
0: of, well financial as i was saying like looking at the news it was like the pirates offered him 676 which is yeah. just not a serious offer <laughs> and that he countered with 6126 mm-hmm. and that feels right to me because it's basically the aav that brandon nimmo got in free agency yeah. and i don't necessarily know if reynolds is as good as nimmo i think they're Kind of similar value wise, they get to it in different ways, but Nimmo is also a better defender. Mm. In terms of a trade though, I think we're looking, we're pretty much looking at contending teams that have holes in the outfield where they don't really have an internal solution that's going to present itself anytime in the immediate future. So for me, that looks like the Yankees are obviously part of that list, depending what they do in left field. I think the Braves are part of that list. Um, I could like, I could see the Braves not doing it if they think Von Grissom really cannot hack it at shortstop and would rather just mm. tuck him in left field and kind of go from there. Um, otherwise, I Cleveland can always use outfielders, but I don't know that they're going to want to make the expense. Uh, the White Sox really would just be better suited doing that, but I, I don't know how serious contenders the White Sox are going to be at this point. Uh, I could see, you know, if... And I, and I think otherwise you're looking at teams where injuries might change the calculus for them. Like, for example... You know Philadelphia if either of Kyle Schwarber or Nick Castellanos gets hurt and or Bryce Harper has a setback in his Tommy John rehab. If nothing else to get Castellanos, one of Castellanos or Schwarber out of the outfield would probably be ideal for them. Uh, similarly, I wonder if a team, I, I, I don't think Milwaukee would be a realistic place because they're not mm. going to offer more money than the Pirates are anyway. Uh, otherwise, and, and I think the other team too that has outfield holes that you should probably keep a close eye on in this is the Dodgers. Uh, especially given their prospect Hall and what they can offer to Pittsburgh, because Pittsburgh clearly just wants as many prospects as it can get. So I'd say the Yankees, Braves, and Dodgers are probably the top of that list with a second tier of contenders behind that who are, I think, a little better set, but might make a move depending on where they stand in Philadelphia, in... I could see, like, depending how things go with the Giants, maybe. It'd be really funny if they traded back for him. (laughs) Uh, And then maybe a team like... I mean we could see how things maybe go in seattle as well but i have a harder time i have a harder time seeing those if only because those teams have already expended you know those teams are obviously a step down in terms of what they want to spend both in terms of prospect capital and on a guy who at the very least is going to cost close to 150 million to retain long term so you know, I think more likely than not one of those three of Atlanta, New York, or Los Angeles ends up with him to ultimately. I I just I don't think there's any way the Pirates finish the season with him on their roster, or at least it would be malpractice on their part to do that. It
3: feels like LA is the favorite. I think the best fit or the team that should actually do it the most is Cleveland because I think we'll get into Cleveland in a second. But I think when you look at that outfield situation in Cleveland. Um, it's like a hey i understand like it's just it is what it is with the dolan ownership group that they're never going to spend to the level that they should when they're fielding a contender but like he feels like the type of guy where you can find that in between uh for cleveland and i think you can make the the case for
0: for what it's worth um it's uh david blitz david biltzer now or blitzer now owns that team Mm or he's a new minority owner. And I, assume well, I don't eventually, think he's taken over yet. Has he? He hasn't, but I assume eventually yeah. he will. But yeah, you're, you're right that it, it uh, it is still a Dolan led enterprise. And yeah, there's and I just,
3: be like you can that. put in a different owner and I don't think it's going to change the calculus and spending no.
0: all that. Much. Well, and, it, and it's also because Cleveland has, I think Cleveland is in a similar position as a team like Arizona, where it's like, mm. why would we spend when we're so good at developing internally anyway? Yeah. And I think that's part of it. And I think, for as much as you can look at the group of Oscar Gonzalez, Miles Straw, and Stephen Kwan and go, yeah, you should get a better hitter than literally any yeah. of those guys. I also think that for Cleveland, the appeal there is that Straw, Kwan, and Gonzalez are going to make a combined like $6 million this year. So, and they're all going to produce, I, I think if there's one guy you worry about in that group, it's Straw, because while he's great defensively, the floor for him offensively is just, it's it's in the basement. Like mm. Kwan, I think, has, has shown that he can at the very least produce uh, something close to league average numbers offensively while doing good defensive work in a corner. I think Gonzalez brings a nice power element to the team. And again, he's cheap and he's also very young. He's only uh, 25 years old. So I imagine there's an interest. So is Quan. I imagine mm. there's an interest there and in just being like, look, we have two young guys. They're 26 and under. They're not making any money. They're good enough. Let, let's give them some rope. Let's see what they do. Straw, I think, is the difference here. He's already 28 years old. Uh, this is, he's arbitration eligible already, so he's going to start getting more expensive as time goes on. Uh, And he's not nearly the same level of hitter or even potential hitter as those other guys are. So for me, I think, you know, if Cleveland did want to get involved, it would make sense. But I just think that they're going to say, you know what, we've got a group we like. You know, we're more about run prevention than anything else around here. Those three guys, are, or at least Straw and Quan are good defenders. I'm not sure about Gonzalez, but he plays right field. So less of a question there, I guess. Or... or what have you so yeah I, I think you're right though that it I think the Dodgers are the best combo of fit uh, need and had the do you ability think they would to give pay him the price. deal that
3: he wants though that's the only thing I would think about is it it's I... like, do you think they would give him that kind of long-term extension
0: see it's interesting because the the thing going forward with LA is what does their payroll situation look like particularly if and this is obviously gonna be a thing they're gonna be all in on Shohei Otani next offseason mm. so I'm not sure if you're the Dodgers, you want to go handing out long-term extensions right now, or if you'd rather just keep all the powder dry and wait to see what happens with Otani. The other thing I wonder about with LA is if they'd rather wait and use their prospect capital and to see if a team like Milwaukee, for example, eventually goes, look, we cannot keep both Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. One of them has to go. And hmm. that's a moment where the Dodgers sidle up and go, hey. He wants some prospects for either of Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff. And then that's the guy they signed to some kind of extension or or what have you. So I'm not sure. I think the the thing with Reynolds is, you know, he's 28 years old. He is a most metrics have been pegged as an average defender at best. Mm. You know, he's he's a mostly patient hitter, but not like a Nimmo level guy. Got some power. I think he's a dude who kind of settles into something close to approximating like maybe a, a Mitch Haniger career with a little less power, but mm-hmm. more OBP. And I guess I'm ultimately not sure how much that's worth to a variety of teams where, you know, if you're going to extend an outfielder, I feel like it has to be someone who is at least elite at one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like if you're an elite defensive outfielder, we can sign you to a rel- relatively affordable extension because defense is one of those things that just doesn't draw the same money as offense. And if you're an elite offensive outfielder, I mean, you know, we'd rather... It's like the Dodgers would rather save their money to pay a guy like Mookie Betts, which they already have, obviously, mm. uh, than I think they would to give Brian Reynolds what he wants. I think Reynolds is a guy who probably isn't going to get an extension wherever he goes, and is just going to end up testing the market eventually to see what he can get depending on... on Again, it also depends on which team gets him, but I, the only team I think I could see making the effort to extend him would be a team like Atlanta, because that's just how they do everything, but I'm also not sure... I do wonder at some point when that kind of when the money dries up for that kind of stuff. Essentially, if they feel like okay, we've we've got enough extensions now, we need to take a step back and just kind of let this play out or or what have you. But um, I, like if the Yankees were to get him, I don't really see the Yankees signing him to any kind of long term extension. I think he would just be a plug and play guy for the time being because they don't really have a solution in left field right now. Mm. But I also think that you know for the Yankees especially, a, a lot of this a lot of this winter or a lot of this winter, a lot of this year. When it comes to the outfield in the future is going to be go, is going to be watching what jason dominguez does down in the minor leagues and trying to get a sense of what do we have here how ready can he be and how good will he be and i don't think they're going to want to close off a spot when they have that potentially down there similarly i mean if anthony volpe is the guy at shortstop going forward and if jose peraza or sorry Oswaldo waldo peraza oswald peraza is the mm. guy uh no jose there are many yankees <laughs> infielders. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they want to leave that left field spot open as well for a guy like Oswaldo Cabrera, you know, just mm. to be there and and be a guy who can fill in, you know, maybe they don't want to have that lockdown long term. Or maybe they end up going after someone like Max Kepler, who will come cheaper in every capacity. So, but I, I do think Reynolds gets moves. And I do think, I, I do think the Dodgers are probably the team that lines up best for it.
3: Yeah, I, the Braves, like you mentioned, unless they will say on Reynolds, it's just that like, okay, I think the Braves calculus at this point is... They are going to make damn sure, uh, Marcel Ozuna is completely cooked and cannot help them, and is actively hurting them, uh, in the DH spot, uh, each and every night. And then they'll be like, "All right, we we literally can't play him anymore." And then we got to make a decision, like, what does Eddie, Eddie Rosario look like? Um, and look again, not not all that optimistic about what left field's looking like. And Ozuna obviously can't pay, play the field. Vaughn Grissom, though, like, I don't know if you knew this, but like they, uh, Ron Washington asked to have Vaughn spend the offseason with him in New yeah. Orleans.
0: So, I saw, I've seen some of the highlights of them, yeah. or a, a story about them working together. And it doesn't surprise me that, you know, when it comes to an infielder, the Braves just put him in wash school. But like, yes, but I, I do think it, it makes it very clear that they are determined or at the very least, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? they're set on having him try to be Mm. the shortstop they're going to put all their they're going to make an effort to make him the shortstop I think if he ends up in left field it's not because they just give up on Ozuna or just like we just need to put someone there I think Mm. it's going to be if Grissom plays and it's just very clear he cannot handle the position but yeah and
3: I I mean he's big for the position he's a sneaky huge (laughs) dude um, but he hit really well so it's not really you're worried about the hitting it's just the defense but like you like he's in wash school and I'm curious to see what all that offseason prep looked like and I just I feel like Elvis Andrews would be a brave if yeah Washington went back to Alex at this point and was like hey yeah, I just I gotta be honest with you I don't think he's going to be an everyday shortstop.
0: and that's part of it too is I think you can trust that of any coach Ronnie Wash is going to be the one to be straight up and be like yo he can or he either can mm-hmm. do it or he can't do it you know yes. so that 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 tracks for me I also think a tr- an, a, an Atlanta trade would be more feasible mm. if Pittsburgh were willing to eat Ozuna's contract in exchange and the Pirates are just not going to do that so they should
3: though like what a like do us a solid Pittsburgh <laughs> why not I,
0: I think if if only, not even just because of the money but also just because of the insanely negative PR hit that would be of we're trading essentially the only recognizable player on this team for a guy who's been uh suspended for domestic us for domestic violence and for a DUI and who just is flat out not good at this like i understand that bob nutting just doesn't give a crap anymore mm. but like th- there has to be some level of limit i i, I do wonder if you if say atlanta, that I, I think you're right that atlanta is going to see if ozuna has anything left i do wonder if they would be able to get any team at all to bite on just eating his salary in exchange for like a b-level prospect just to get him off the roster and off the books at some point
3: what did the kid do i forgot about that in last year um To Bob Nutting when he pretended he was going to take a picture with him. Yeah,
0: and then he had a shirt that said like "Sell the team" on it or something. Yes, that's what it was.
3: And then you saw his face, where just the "Hello, darkness, my old friend" uh, entirely blue look. Um, Bo Bichette got an extension. Speaking of extensions for young guys, John Taylor. I I feel kind of bad for him in a way, where Mm. like Vlad Junior is just awesome and he's got the name, the notoriety, and Bo Bichette is just like really good at baseball and has been perfectly great since being called up by toronto and it's just i don't know i feel like he's gonna have this under the radar just great value great important player on a contender and it's just i don't know i just feel like he's just gonna be not lost in the shuffle that's a little harsh but like he's just gonna put up great numbers year over year and just be a really great um success story for this toronto team and i i just I don't know. I, I I wish he got more publicity because I think Bo is just he's a really good player, and I I think there's a, another opportunity for him to uh to just transform his game even more in 2023 and be really one of the best uh, best players in the AL East. What what do you think of the extension? What do you think? Uh, what are you expecting out of him in 2023?
0: So, without the numbers, it's a little tough to tell exactly, but given that it bought out all three years of arbitration he had, and based on the fact that his ARB salary was going to come in somewhere between, let's say, 5 and, and $7.5 and million dollars for the season, mm. depending on what... Obviously, torn up now because they're not going to go before an arbitrator. I'm guessing it's probably going to be something in like the 335 $340 range, uh, mm. just to take into account the fact that he would be getting raises all those years, and obviously he has to get something to give up the... Because, I mean, I think most... Most agents would tell you or uh, operate under the assumption that you should just go to arbitration every single year because you literally cannot, t- you can't lose money. Like you mm. only will, if nothing else, you will at least make what you made a, and nine times out of 10, you will get a raise. So giving that up in exchange for the guaranteed money, you have to be getting at least something equivalent to what you would have been making in arbitration anyway. So, I mean, hard to say it's a bad deal for the Blue Jays, like that is pocket change for them. And I think it also obviously eliminates the uncertainty of going to arbitration every year for Bichette on the same on the same level, you know, you get that guaranteed money now. It's, you know, a, a nice way to to get yourself set up for that long-term deal in advance. I do think it's interesting that it only bought out the 3 years of arbitration. He didn't give up any free agency. I think that's obviously smart on his part to preserve that uh, mm-hmm. leverage to preserve that ability. As to what we ex- we can expect of him next year, I think it's probably going to be some assuming he stays salty, it'll be something I think similar to last year when you got a, a good defender and a good hitter overall. And I think that's really just what Bichette is. Like it's it's funny to Is try he a star? to star i think so but in a kind of quieter way because he yeah. doesn't there, there isn't like there isn't any one thing that bichette does at like an elite yeah. level except for i think like make contact and that's not really something mm. i think that sells the same way as like aaron judge's power or but i mean he's uh,
3: like i think zips has him at like 26 homers next year like yeah he's not, mean, that's it's not like he, yeah
0: no and i think he he reminds me a kind of like a, a not reminds me necessarily but he fits very comfortably into that like top tier of shortstops who bring who are just good on both sides of the ball mm-hmm. and who at their peak are probably like five to six win players. And that's mm-hmm. worth plenty. Like Bichette in twenty twenty one was worth five wins per mm-hmm. fangrass. Bichette in twenty twenty-two was worth four and a half. And that's at ages twenty-three and twenty-four. I think realistically over the next three seasons you should probably expect a floor somewhere in that four to five win range if he stays healthy you know you look at you look at who he is as a player and you look at um you know it's one of those things where it's like you try to identify okay what are the red flags potentially what are the what are the issues you might see with someone like beau bichette Realistically, there's not a whole lot there. Like the, mm. the the contact peripherals pretty much agree with the with the projected or with the actual stats. The expected stats more or less line up. Mm. And like he's he's not an exit velocity monster by any stretch of the imagination. He hits the ball hard and he hits it consistently hard. You know, but he, he's not he's Aaron. Just a Jones, great but,
3: baseball player.
0: But that's the thing. He hits. Yeah. That's and what makes her is he is just consistent. He consistently hits the ball hard. Yeah. At a at a productive angle and like he just does that. All the time. And I think if there's one thing you kind of would like to see better from him, it's maybe take like up the walk rate a little bit. You know, it's mm. sub 6% right now. Um, but he's keeping the strikeouts under control. This isn't a guy who's just up there swinging from his heels every time. Mm. And I think you also like, for as much as it's like, oh, if you have a low walk rate, that's kind of a red flag. It can be. But if you're also a guy who's just making consistent, hard contact on a regular basis, it kind of you can kind of understand why that walk rate would be a little lower because that guy's just not letting pitches get by him, and that's plenty mm-hmm. valuable on its own. So, no, I, I really, I obviously like this a lot for the Blue Jays. I think it's Bouchette and, and Vlad are the two guys they pretty much have to build around offensively going forward. And I think that, you know, if he's, again, if he's healthy, we should expect like a five to six win player next year. I think the only other caveat there is defensively, you know, how does he grade out? And that obviously remains to be seen, but at the same time, defensive statistics, especially on a year-to-year basis, are pretty noisy. So I'm not going to worry too much about that. For the most part, the defensive metrics seem to think that Bichette is, if nothing else, fine at the position. Maybe this is a guy who long-term, you know, when he crosses 30, you're talking about moving to third base or maybe to second base. But for now, I think, you know, he's essentially a franchise shortstop. So, you know, I I think we should, our expectations should be in line with that.
3: Do you think the Babbitt stays up? Because it's been super high all three I th- years
0: i think it can because again like he has his hard hit rate last year was was 50 his mm. average exit velocity 90 and one point almost 92 miles an hour max ev you know of about 110 112 like those aren't necessarily predictive but they do suggest that he has a good ability to make consistent hard contact on the right part of the bat and that mm. is just invariably going to lead to higher batting averages on balls in play because you are just hitting scorching line drives pretty much everywhere you know Bichette is not one of those speedster guys who is finding holes in the infield or something. And he's also not a guy where I, I would feel differently if the contact stats suggested that this is someone who is like a noodle bat who's just getting lucky. But I, I don't think Bichette's getting lucky on this stuff. I think he's just hitting the ball real hard all the time.
3: Interesting. Um, enjoy it, Blue Jays fans. Like you've hit on Absolutely. all these like, young guys. Like
0: like, Bichette, like it's such a what a wealth of talent the Blue Jays have right now. What a fun team that's going to be.
3: They deserve a lot of credit, and I feel like if they weren't in the AL East, like put them in the Central, man. Put them in the. Uh, you put
0: the I mean, I know that I know that schedules are no longer are they're differently balanced now, but yeah, put them in the Central. They win that division by like six games. Like I think them. they win
3: it for like seven years straight. Like they're the best run organization immediately. They immediately spin the most in that in that division. Like I don't know. Like that. I just yeah. I feel bad for them because they're in the Yankees and Rays and it's uh, tough Tech, and then yeah. with
0: the and then with the Orioles coming up right behind them yeah. too um yeah it's it's a tough place to be the AL East right now always has been but particularly yeah, especially so now. now especially now
3: uh, offseason prediction for you e.
0: John Taylor right. the
3: biggest trade made this year will be by who and involve who
0: okay so with the caveat that mm-hmm. Shohei Otani hovers above all of the all of this and I that think we it, should
3: put him out because I think he's just—they're going to ride yeah. it out into the sunset if you. I, I think so I think you too.
0: To. I, I think the only way Otani gets dealt is if one Trout goes down early in the season and is going to be out for an extended period of time. Mm. Two, if the Angels are miles below 500 going into July, and it's just very, very obvious that there is no point anymore. Especially because like, I believe at that it p- down, he's like, like I'm yeah. Especially because there. I believe at that point Otani is going to start agitating for get me the hell out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. So yeah, but I think you're right. Let's leave Otani out of this because you cannot predict anything the Angels do. They're insane. <laughs> um, I think Reynolds is probably the most impact player likely to be dealt, um, hmm. just in terms of because we are we already know that he's not going to stay in Pittsburgh. We already know that there are contenders who are interested in him. Hmm. It would be insane for Pittsburgh not to move him. There's nothing they're going to get in exchange by letting him by letting this play out. Here's a, here's an interesting one though that I think uh could really or a team that could really move the needle if things go wrong for them the Hmm. white Sox, because so we've talked at nauseam ad nauseam at length about the white Sox, how they seem to have missed the window that they built for themselves how they are right now a projected third place team in a division where the division winner is probably only going to win like 84 games well let's hold that because that's the next thing we're going to hit the zips projections for american league that was something that stood out to me but yes not great. And for the most part, Chicago pretty much slept through this offseason with the exception <laughs> of adding Andrew Benintendi. So the, the team that mm-hmm. you saw last year is pretty much the same team coming in this year. Uh, and also adding
3: a pitcher, by the way, who's not going to pitch for them this year.
0: Yes, and Mike Clevenger, who is yeah. a just fundamentally bad person. So Correct. with all that aside, I think there's a very real chance that if the White Sox get into the All-Star break in third place, below 500, reasonably out of the division picture, treading water among the wild card candidates, That there's a real chance that they might start making some activity because there are two players in particular that they have on roster who are set to be free agents next year who i think could make a really big difference if they're moved one is lance lynn the other is lucas giolito both of those guys are set to their uh lynn's contract is set to run out giolito is about to hit free agency for the first time i can really see if again if if chicago's out of it i think they're going to put those two guys on the market and just see what they can get because i honestly do believe given the way this roster is built. And this is another thing to keep in mind, too, is that Tim Anderson is set to be a free agent at the end of the season if the White Sox don't pick up his team option. I don't think the White Sox would move Tim Anderson even if things went completely to hell, because I think there is... I think that's a one guy... Not the one guy, but I think that's a guy where if Chicago tries to move him, the fan base will riot to a certain degree. Like... Mm. I think you just have to write it out with him. But Lynn and Giolito, I think it's a lot easier to move them. They're pitchers, especially if the mindset in the Chicago front offices. I mean, Lynn, obviously they are not going to re-sign. I think they're going to let him walk no matter what. Giolito, I think it really, really depends how this first half goes. But I could Tim I can Anderson? see them making that move. Anderson is a possibility, but I think along the lines of I, I just I don't know, I just have a hard time seeing it because I think they would have to be blown out of the water by an offer. Truly. But we
3: already know that Anderson's. Not, I mean, he's from Alabama, um, and grew up in Alabama. Played. Is this? Was, are you trying to make Tim Anderson a Brave? Is this where this is going, John? You read my mind. God. Okay. If the shortstop stuff does not go well with Vaughn Grissom for the first half, if there was ever a guy who the Braves would be like, hmm, that Freeman money. Where yeah. do we Where do we invest it? Tim Anderson being like the uh, just an immediate fan favorite and an immediate just like yes uh, and, and look it would excited. be
0: it would be a great addition for Atlanta i'm i'm just of those three guys i think tim anderson is my mo- least likely to get traded from that group yeah and then i think lynn is the most likely to get traded cuz the other thing is when you look at chicago's roster mm-hmm. you can make an argument that it just might be t- like at a certain like you can make an argument a while ago that this team's direction should have changed but mm. i'm wondering if you know, if an, if they get off to a slow start again, there's going to be a feeling of we need to blow some parts of this up because this is not working. And- well, part of the
3: issue here, too, with the White Sox, and we talked about this this offseason, is that, like, if you're Rick Hahn, like, are you certain that you're going to be the GM overseeing this uh, this rebuild if you do pivot? Like, what's the point in pivoting if you're Hahn when you're fighting for your job?
0: I understand that and I, I that is a good question and I don't think there's any way to answer it right now mm. necessarily. But Jerry Reinsdorf is a stupidly loyal man, emphasis mm-hmm. on stupid when it comes to certain employees. So mm. and I think you can make the argument too that if if you're Han, you're looking at this roster and going, okay, what we tried to do for a few years there didn't work, but mm. we still got Luis Robert like long term, he's not twenty-six yet. Eloy Jimenez, who just turned twenty-six, uh, Andrew Vaughn, who's not yet twenty-five, uh, Dylan Cease, who's 27. Michael Kopech, who's 27. So I I can see them deciding, okay, that's the new core we'll try to build around. We need to, and let's start shedding some veterans. Another guy actually in that um, uh, soon-to-be free agent list on on Chicago's roster, who I think could have some interest to teams down the stretch, is Yasmani Grandal. If he's Hmm. healthy again, uh, could be of interest to teams that might be a little lacking at catcher. But
3: See two-thirds of this league.
0: (laughs) Yes. So... Otherwise, you know, I I think you're looking at maybe like. Because you look at the teams that are, you know, supposed to be last this season. Like, Mm. I I think another team that. Could make some moves as the Red Sox if they're in a bad sh- if they're in bad shape, but I think that's more likely to be guys like to be kind of just throwing Justin Turner and Kenley Jansen onto the market and be like anyone, anyone at all. Eh, I think they've eh, been bullied eh.
3: into the opposite, John. Like I think that Rafael Devers extension was a bullying situation, and I think that yeah. they are now moving. They cannot do anymore. They're like, oh, we've we found the we found the limit to what Boston fans will put we, up with.
0: We done screwed up. But mm-hmm. um, and then you look at the list of pending free agents. Uh, otherwise, going into next season, and it's guys like Max Scherzer and Manny Machado, who obviously are not going to be dealt by the teams that they're on unless something goes terribly wrong in those uh, with those teams, mm-hmm. or guys like Josh Donaldson and Joey Votto and like Hyun Jin Ryu, where there's there's just no real value left there at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to be Reynolds ultimately, just because I I don't really you know that list of free agents, there's no one who immediately stands out. I think you know I I the last place the projected last place teams don't really have that like young established guy to move for prospects at this point. I mean, if you're looking at the Royals roster, the Tigers roster, the Athletic, the, the A's have already dealt away all those guys, the Nationals have already dealt away all those guys, the Reds have already dealt away all those guys, like I think they the don't really still
3: have... have some arms that they could move. I think the Marlins I, are I, still I'd sitting be, there.
0: I'd be curious on that because I'm not sure beyond Sandy Alcantara what interest level there would be in anyone else on that roster hmm. because I have to imagine that guys like um Cabrera, Lizardo, uh, presumably eventually Max Mayer, Sixto uh, Max Mayer and Sixto Sanchez, obviously their value is very, very low right now. I don't think Miami would be able that. Lazardo is then. just
3: an all-time just eye of the beholder kind of kind of guy.
0: Yeah, and like I, I don't know that there's anything really left for Miami to do there. So hmm. if you're looking at, at like those last and like I I'm not even gonna pretend to try to figure out what the Rockies are gonna do. It is pointless. Mm-hmm. Like the other team maybe I could see is like Arizona, but I think that would be more along the lines of like is anyone interested in Christian Walker? Is anyone interested in Merrill Kelly? Like veteran guys who they're not going to be around probably much longer. Let's see if we can get absolutely anything at all for them. Otherwise, you're probably looking at like relievers, you know? I think Maybe the t-
3: are going to be buyers. I think I'm pretty optimistic. Like their farm is that's, like, strong I, I'm now, up, and I think I'm optimistic
0: close. about it. It's optimistic about the D backs, too. And I think yeah. they're going to be wild card contenders. Yeah. I just think that that's a team where if things start to go south, they'd be more willing to listen on those veteran guys because they have that farm system that's so productive right now that it's like, well, why don't we just start clearing out some of the older dudes and seeing if some of these young guys can cook like, you know, similarly, like, you know, is a guy like Carson Kelly set long term there when they just traded for Gabriel Moreno? I hmm. don't know. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see to find out.
3: John, we overlooked the most obvious here. And I'm just going to go ahead and say I think it happens. Okay. Fernando Tatis Jr. is getting traded.
0: Oh, God. I don't want to live... (laughs) Look, as someone who has to edit things for a living, Mm -hmm. I don't want to live in the universe where AJ Preller makes a Fernando Tatis Jr. deadline trade. Because one, it's going to happen at 3.58 p.m. Eastern Standard (laughs) Time. And two, it's going to melt servers across the internet when it happens. Mm -hmm. I don't want to deal with that. I just keep tatis and figure it out do not make it everyone else's problem i swear to god aj preller you absolute lunatic you
3: know he's gonna do it and you know who he's gonna do it with it's like him and depoto are just gonna spend all the sun all summer long just texting fake trades back and would, forth to each other would a
0: tatista seattle trade be the most like boy boy mm. just think about that one on a lot of different levels and what that would look like like they i mean that's too much man that's too much
3: that's my prediction. I think Tatis okay. to the Mariners. I think okay. that's the mid-season trade. I think we see it.
0: I'm I'm sticking with Reynolds. I think he's the I think he's the most likely to be traded, and I yeah. think he's the most if even if he, and even if there are other deals, I think Reynolds is the most likely to make an impact when traded. Um,
3: I will also say too, John. One that's a sneaky big. It's not huge, but like because I think it will end up being Anderson, Ian Anderson, the one traded from the the collection of arms here. But like, mm. there's an avenue where the Braves sell high on Mike Soroka. Where they're like, hey, he's as healthy as he's been in three years now. And it's just a lot of it's not his fault. But like, he still just feels like a ticket. Like, are you really going to pay a long term contract to a guy who's torn his Achilles twice? Like, there's just the something like, thing, like, about how, it.
0: How many teams are going to be willing to give up prospect capital for a dude who's torn his Achilles twice?
3: Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if he's good, like he makes that fifth starter spot in the spring and he looks like his old self and he looks like that kind of dominant version of what's which is now just like three years ago yeah if he looks like that do the braves make a shrewd move and tr- sell high to a I mean, contender I could,
0: I could see it happening but i think it's mm. less likely to happen than than like chicago just saying ass eh, screw it we're done
3: yeah or max freed's just like hey that arbitration hearing sucked uh no i one- i think
0: I think the Braves keep Freed and just let him walk eventually. I, I think yeah. that's one of those things where it's like nothing they get back for Freed is going to be as valuable as just having Freed going forward.
3: And let me just say, Braves folks, I'm not enc- I'm not pushing any of these things. It's just something that uh, I'm curious about because Bryce Elder might just win that spot. I don't know. Like we're I'm very very curious to see who wins it between Elder, Soroka, and Ian Anderson because I think one of those three, whoever loses, is uh, going to be moved. Um, Zips of the yes. pod dan sambroski does great work over at fangrafts.com. go subscribe if you've not already done so but um the 2023 zips for the american league is out a fantastic read and analysis from dan as always that you can go check out over there john yes. um who do you agree with most what with the numbers like who who did you find you agreed with the most and who did you agree with the least based on what the numbers spit out here
0: so i think i i don't know if there are specific numbers i think and this is worth noting too, with Dan's Zips projections and standings, is that these are 50th percentile outcomes. So, mm-hmm. and and I think that's probably why you look at some of these numbers and go, the Yankees at 89 wins, the the Twins at 80, the Astros are only going to win 90 games. Like it, it feels a little low across mm-hmm. the board for the teams that I think we all expect to be contenders. Whereas on the other side of things, you look at the Royals at 70 and 92 and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like that 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 feels right that that team is going to be significantly under 500. Similarly, the Red Sox being a just under 500 team feels right to me. The Tigers being well under 500 feels right to me. Uh the A's being well under 500 feels right to me. The Rangers being roughly 500 feels right. I think Seattle at 85 and 77 feels like pretty close to what i would expect them to do i think they're going to finish somewhere in that 85 to 90 territory Hmm. um i think you could expect houston to be better new york to be better the blue jays to be better the really really interesting one to me is minnesota at 80 and 82 Hmm. i would not have expected that a projection system would spit out a below 500 finish for that roster right now um i know dan dan didn't go into terribly great detail about uh about why the twins ended up so low i think part of it was just the fact that their biggest offseason addition was carlos correa whom as he notes was also their last offseason or last season so nothing really mm. changed there otherwise you're looking at pablo lopez and dan notes there that lopez is less about upping the ceiling of the of the rotation than more of just giving it a, a sturdier base mm. you know i think i think maybe part of the problem with minnesota is the depth is not great there and as we saw last year and i've seen in the past injuries you know really really tied them in knots for a bit but i think a healthy twins team is a pretty safe bet to crack 85 wins similarly i think a healthy guardians team is a pretty safe bet to crack 85 wins as well Um, i might
3: even lock that in john i might lock in guardians at 85.
0: i feel that that just feels right to me dan has them at 83 but i think there's obviously not much of a world of difference between 83 and 85. it's also worth remembering too these are projections that are coming out two months before the start of the season Mm. uh like a week and a half or so before the start of spring training But those are the numbers that jumped out to me. And I think, you know, like I said, I think the main the main takeaway for me is that Zips is to a certain degree under projecting the teams we would consider to be elite. Hmm. I think there's a I think if you want to bet the over on anyone based on those numbers, it's probably the Yankees and the Astros. I have a hard time seeing either of them finishing with 90 or fewer wins. I, you know, similarly with Toronto, I think they're going to be somewhere in that 90 to 94 category uh yankees will probably be somewhere similar in that kind of in that same kind of 90 plus territory and i'm a Houston, real sicko
3: and i would probably get like i would probably throw some money at the raise over at 86 just because like the bounce back year of just they, things didn't that. go right and i could 1000 percent because they might have the al mvp they might have him already on this roster and he might play a full season
0: you're talking about wander franco
3: yeah i think he could be an oh al mvp like dark No, horse. I think like, he's a
0: def he's a definitely a dark horse candidate
3: yeah so i mean if that goes right then you could easily see the case of the Rays. just we don't like it like they have great top of the rotation aces like you could see you could see the Rays just hit 95 96 if everything went right
0: well what i think is instructive about zips here too is to Mm -hmm. look at those teams that are projected to be bad essentially Mm -hmm. because one thing that zips does that a lot of other projection systems don't do is take into account stuff like you know dan tweaks it to account for stuff like Injuries or the fact that, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, some guys are just not going to get 650 plate appearances You know, we've got one of our I I believe our uh, Roster resource depth charts have trout projected at like 600 plus plate appearances and that's probably not gonna happen You know, Mm -hmm. but Dan is gonna take that kind of stuff into account So I think with those teams down there you're already seeing like how bad this roster is just right now Mm -hmm. without injury problems like I think there's like and, and that's kind of the thing when you look at a team like Kansas City or Detroit or or the a's like the, the floor for them is that much lower you know that i think that when we're talking like the tigers being projected to win 71 games that feels like a ceiling that feels like a pretty hard ceiling and i think it's a really safe bet to say that none of those teams are going to crack 75 wins you know that this is about where they should be and that things can get even worse from here because and to a certain degree the 50th percentile uh expectation for those teams is somewhat optimistic you know because the depth the depth situations in those on those teams is not good you know Kansas City does not have good minor league depth Detroit does not have good minor league depth the A's do not have good minor league depth like they are already running out a lot of that minor league depth in starters roles right now because they're not paying or signing major league veterans to do that job instead or or actual like qualified major league players so i would not be surprised if you're going to see over overperform or better said, if the top teams are going to overperform those projections and the bottom teams are going to underperform them to a slight degree. I think more likely than not that the bottom teams end up closer to the projections, but maybe still under. And mm. I think more likely that the top teams end up over projecting by a decently fair amount. One thing Dan also notes is that Zips doesn't take into account, obviously, uh, in-season additions. Mm. And it's way more likely that a team like Houston or New York or Cleveland or... Uh, you know, Tampa or Toronto is going to make moves during the season to make itself better because they are obviously trying to, you know, get up like win a division or, or secure a playoff spot. So that's the other thing. It's like when you see the Yankees projected to win 89 games now, keep in mind that's the Yankees not having done a single thing yet with a bear with a 50th percentile projection in a very tough division. I think it's more likely than not that that team ends up again, somewhere in that 90 plus territory, especially if Volpe is awesome. Exactly. Like Andy yeah, and that's is
3: just sitting out there. We'll see what he looks like. That's and that's,
0: that. and that's the other part of it too, is that these teams have more incentive if they have yeah. guys in the minor leagues who are tearing it up to be like, well, no, let's get him on up here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if, if Jordan Walker is destroying AAA uh, in the first two months of the season and the Cardinals are struggling, like they're going to make a move for him. And that is going to yeah. change their projections, obviously. So, I think that's that's also worth keeping in mind that invariably I think Zips is going to undershoot the elite teams a little bit because they are always going to be trying, or ostensibly at least, to get better during the season and they're going to be looking for the best production they can get. Whereas those bottom tier teams really have nothing to play for but development and because they are legally obligated to. So if anything, I think, again, you see like a 71 win projection for the Tigers and go, yeah, that sounds about right because I don't know, like, where are the Tigers supposed to get extra wins from? You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. not going to make trades. They're Scott not Harris re-
3: can't make all of these young players just work out all yes. in one year. Yeah.
0: Similarly, in Kansas City, like, they need mm. to hit on a lot of prospects to beat yeah. that projection, you know? And that's really, really, really hard to do. Whereas a team like the Yankees, it's like, no, you're just taking, like, baseline expectations for guys where we we can really safely, reasonably assume that if they're healthy, that's mm. what they're going to do. Because you you know what Garrett Cole is capable of, you know? We we all know. Yeah. We know what a healthy, good Garrett Cole season looks like. If he has one, you know, the Yankees are going to be good. Whereas a healthy, good Vinny Pascantino season doesn't really do anything for the Royals because they got much, much bigger issues than that, you know?
3: Roldis Chapman's going to be pitching like the sixth inning of Royal games in July. He's not the closer.
0: No, nor should he be. There's absolutely no reason. I think (sighs) the only reason Kansas City signed him is to flip him at the deadline at some point to a team that needs yet left-handed relief help. And
3: I just, I don't because know, otherwise the they just don't, looks they don't gone. need him. The Velo is just, I don't know. He just might be cooked. Look, it's going to um, be
0: really, really funny if he comes out spring training throwing like ninety-four miles an hour. <sighs> like, oh my god, I am. It, it was really telling that when he signed with the Royals, every Yankees fan on Twitter was like, "All right, bye, see you." Nobody like nobody likes you. Go to hell. Like,
3: yeah, it's over. Like, I just once you, it's just, when you get signed by Casey at that point, it's like, oh, it's 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 dumb. over. Yeah,
0: it's done.
3: Um, I will say the last thing on it, I would bet the under on the Angels 85. Like, that's what stood out to me the most. is like, okay, oh, that's, absolutely not. That's absolutely fair. not. And nope. I, I
0: totally get that because as we've seen with the Angels, <laughs> mm-hmm. when one thing goes wrong, it just, it, for starters, Everything goes it snowballs. And they never have the depth necessary to make up for the loss of guys like Trout or Otani or any the of their other of players. Yeah. So I, I can see that too. That I think 85 is an optimistic projection for the Angels, Yeah, which is not good because this is already 50th percentile stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm and more likely than not that they end up kind of closer to that 500, if not below territory, particularly if the Mariners are better than expected. And especially if the Rangers are better than expected, because those are, and and Dan notes that in his AL West projections that it's like, if you're a little confused by Houston being a 90 win team, it's not so much that Houston has gotten worse, but that all the teams behind Houston, with the exception of Oakland have just started inching closer and closer and closer, just at a kind of, at a, again, inching at at a pretty gradual pace.
3: I, I i love the idea of fisher seeing that like he's he noted oakland a's owner who reads fan each and every day yes uh, yeah we we, we saw
0: it. i actually hand deliver via email <laughs> all of our articles to john fisher yeah to let him know what we're talking about and thinking over here
3: and he gets it out and he's like run the numbers again 72 wins it's too high this is this is not what we try to do this all season yeah, 72 this he is, looks no. at the projection
0: goes 75 trade our catcher like <laughs> I, I, for some reason, in my head, he's like an old-timey, like 1920s owner who's like mm-hmm. he has a monocle and a cravat, and he's like, "Ah, this with his will not stand. I, I'm not paying for these ruffians to go about slinging the horse hide in such fashion. Mm-hmm. Send him to St. Louis for that young up-and-comer, McCloskey."
3: <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> with St. Uh, Louis,
0: even a t- what? How? When did the Browns stop existing, for that matter? When did they move to Baltimore? Wait, hold on. You're co- hold on. You're combining a lot of stuff. Which one? Who? I was talking about the St. Louis Browns because I wanted an old-timey team yeah. that didn't exist anymore, although I guess uh-huh. they're technically the Cardinals now. Or no, they're uh-huh. they're the Orioles now and the Cardinals yeah. are the old Browns. You know what? I, I, this is getting very out of hand. But in the weeds here. <laughs>
3: yes. Um, we'll end on this, John. Are we under I was thinking about this today. And look, folks, I I am not as ha- I'm not happy about the way my brain works any more than Uh, anybody else is on this very program john but Mm -hmm. the way my brain was working this afternoon i'm walking cleesey the dog around the park and i was just thinking i'm like the guardians were right there they won the al central last year they've done it before they do really really well at developing they've got a pretty strong staff at this point little questions in the four and five spot but they were right there with the yankees like, they were right there in terms of, like, if one of the Yankees and or Astros have a season from hell, like, I think the path is pretty, like, it's not the AL Like, I just come back to where it's like, the AL just feels a lot more open, and I think the Guardians are just gonna be sitting there where no one wants to pick them to win the AL, but, like, I think there's a 20 or so percent chance that things go their way and they win the al i am i crazy
0: yeah, for talking no, myself i into mean, the guardians look if you look at dan's piece which includes uh division odds wildcard odds playoff odds and world series odds mm-hmm. uh cleveland he's got them a three percent chance of winning the world series like hmm. granted that's tiny but it's also the only al teams with higher world series winning odds are the yankees the blue jays the rays the astros and barely the mariners and the angels and mm. look i would i would rather much rather bet my money on the on the guardians winning the world series and the angels but mm. the opportunity is there and that's in part because the central with the exception of minnesota and maybe chicago is just a really bad division yep you know there is a lot of room for cleveland even even if this is not a good season for Cleveland, even if they limp their way to 86 wins, that might still be enough to take the division. Mm-hmm. And then always in the playoffs, it's always, it's a crapshoot. It's a, you know, it's it's just the team that gets hot and the team that is good. Although I think what, what ends up hurting Cleveland obviously is the offense because it is so, rel- it is such a hard game to play. Like it is such a hard way to win baseball games and not just win baseball games, but win like playoff games. Like we saw the Royals do it, but the Royals were a supernatural being from like, Depending on your definition, hell or heaven. Like, w- what the Guardians are trying to do with what they have is, it's a much tougher road to go down than what the Yankees and what the Astros are doing. I think you're right that if one of those teams collapses, it does tend to open up the rest of the field a bit. But mm. in my mind, at least, you know, when you're making the tiers of AL contenders going into the into going into spring training now, it goes. I think the Yankees and the Astros are your clear top two. Yeah. I think the Blue Jays are a step behind them, mm-hmm. with maybe the Rays there as well. But I, I put I think, them the same. And I, but I don't think it's crazy to suggest that the Guardians could be right there with the Rays in terms of being one of those kind of eighty-five to ninety-win teams if it all comes together well. Mm-hmm. Similarly with Seattle. I think Cleveland and Seattle are in a very similar position, except for the fact, obviously, Cleveland has a much easier path to a division title than Seattle does. Right. But I, I think they're in a similar place of like, look. We're, they're not a great team they're not they're not on the level of the Astros and Yankees but if things break right they have just as good a chance as anybody else honestly so they
3: won 92 games last year
0: they did and they did it pretty legitimately that was mm. a legitimately good team like you're right they 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 took the Yankee they took it hard to the Yankees and if it weren't for the fact that well New York is just an overall better team like yeah you know that series was well within their reach I
3: I just I, I can't quit it John I, I think it's a, I think it's a possibility uh, John, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com today and the rest of this week?
0: So right now we are, as with everyone else, and I think this is just an effective, like the Super Bowl just has like this weird like negative gravitational pull where it's like nothing else happens in sports otherwise aside from mm-hmm. LeBron James being the, becoming the all-time leading scorer in NBA history, but hey, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our stuff right now, it's kind of quiet ahead of spring training. Obviously we have... Uh, the Zips projected standings. The AL came out today on Wednesday. The NL's the NL standings should be out on Friday. Otherwise, we are continuing to barrel through our individual organizational top prospect lists. We will have the Pittsburgh Pirates out on Thursday from Eric Longenhagen and Tess Taruskin uh, to run down what exactly Pittsburgh is doing system wise and which players, if you're a Pirates fan, you can expect to see in the next few years who will be there for about four or five seasons and then get traded because they make more than the league minimum. Uh, Otherwise, the thing I want to highlight, as I have been throughout the last few weeks, is getting people ready for our top 100 prospect list coming out the week of February 20th, President's Day week, I guess you could call it. Uh, We will have not only our global top 100, but also a lot of extra stuff around that. Dan will have a Zips top 100 Uh, Ben Clemens will have a piece where he looks at some mid-tier prospects he thinks could be some breakout potentials and this year because we have resident college baseball sicko Michael Bauman on staff we're gonna (laughs) include some college baseball stuff to go along with that so get excited for that if you're a college baseball guy Bauman is one of the biggest college baseball sickos on the internet Uh, just
3: the wrong team unfortunately
0: look not everyone is perfect right you know it's it's not everyone is a a volunteer or something but (laughs) but I that'll be joke part of our i'm not going to make the joke <laughs> that'll be part of our package too. so i deeply i very much encourage you if you're into the prospect stuff if you're into the minor leagues and if you're into college baseball uh, check out fangraphs in a couple of weeks we will have all that stuff in the meantime come on and join us as a member like i said early like i said before we are going to be doing a membership drive we're going to be introducing some new perks for members uh, Five dollars a month, sixty dollars a year gets you ad-free browsing plus some new fun stuff that we are excited to announce once it's all ready and set to go. Fangraphs.com—it's where John Fisher learns about how bad his team is and why he needs to sell everyone to a salt mine. Is it John Fisher or Steve Fisher? I actually don't know. I'm—I I don't. It's like part of it is like I don't really care because fuck him. But like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Fangraphs.com—we are the favorite site of billionaires everywhere. it is john fisher isn't
3: it uh, hold on who's steve fisher then Is a former basketball coach that uh, i knew there was a steve fisher who existed oh yeah basketball coach yes for michigan okay i was like why am i blanking on i'm like i didn't just pull steve fisher out of there um (laughs) there you go older white guy there's a lot of them Um, them. john taylor always a pleasure and i will talk to you next week sounds good All right, we're back here on the Chase and Most Podcast, where I am now joined by uh, one of my favorite NFL writers, podcasters, media types. I don't know what to call Sam Monson anymore. He started off as a writer, and now he's a YouTuber. He's an influencer, which is what he definitely prefers to go by. Football influencer, Sam Monson of Pro Football <laughs> Focus. Sam, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm
2: doing well. How are you?
3: Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I. What What's been the... Uh, let's start here. What's, who's been the most interesting person uh, who's playing in the game on Sunday that you've talked to uh, this week?
2: So we haven't talked to that many people that are actually playing in the game. Um, mm. They've had, obviously, their, their media availability. To us, the more interesting people are the guys in, you know, radio row here, or media row, whatever we're mm. calling it now. Um, you know, there's, there's this fascinating kind of group of guys, and the, as the, the week wears on, This place gets busier and busier. This has been the busiest day so far. I think it's only going to be even more crazy tomorrow. Um, So it's really the kind of fascinating people we get to talk to during these days rather than the guys from the game who are all, you know, zoned in on what's going to happen in a few days' time.
3: Yeah, and I, you know what's cool, too, is I feel like because we're doing this on YouTube and video, it, Patrick Mahomes is just going to walk behind Sam Monson at some point for the good folks over there on YouTube.com, so let's chase on this podcast. So that's going to be a fun backdrop, backdrop here for the pod. Um, the reason the Eagles get blown out in the Super Bowl will be what, Sam?
2: If that happened, it would be because they haven't faced a team like Kansas City yet. They haven't mm. faced the kind of challenge that the Chiefs can present. Like – The Chiefs are the best team from the AFC, I think, this year. They're certainly every bit the equal of Philadelphia, and they're a team capable of giving them a challenge that other teams haven't yet. Like, when you look at the Eagles this season, they've been with a lead almost the entire time, 700-plus snaps in the lead. They just haven't been punched in the mouth the way that Kansas City could punch them in the mouth. And we know what happens if that goes the other way, and Philadelphia does that to Kansas City. Like, they're... They're perfectly happy playing a game like that in it with game script. You know, down fourteen points, it's nothing to them. I don't know that we know that Philadelphia is happy to bounce back from that kind of situation.
3: On the flip side, the reason the Chiefs get blown out in the Super Bowl will be what?
2: I mean, the Chiefs' problem is you know Philadelphia is a really good team. I, I mm. very much doubt that they get blown out. I, I don't really see that as one of the potential outcomes of this game. I think there's definitely a way that it could mm. happen to Philadelphia if you know the script gets away from them, if the score goes in Kansas City's favor early. I think that is a scenario that could come up. But I don't really see the Chiefs ever being just destroyed in a game like this. They're too good. They have Patrick Mahomes. They have Travis Kelsey. They're way too capable of erasing a big deficit like that. Um, I, I really don't see that as, as an option.
3: I like it. Um, how, he won't win MVP but you think this player will end up being the most deserving on Sunday?
2: Um, I could see one of those Philadelphia pass rushers, particularly the mm. edge guys. You know, if they're able to to spring a surprise, not even a surprise, their favorite, if they're managed to win this game and upset Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, I think Brandon Graham, I think Hassan Reddick, one of those two guys could have a huge game against those Chiefs offensive tackles, which I think are a, the kind of weak links on that offensive line, but B, I just they're not well-equipped to match up with those specific body types of pass rushers. Brandon Graham's a kind of short, stocky guy. He's difficult to get hold of for a guy like Orlando Brown, who's this huge, monstrous offensive tackle. Hassan Reddick is a tiny pass rusher, you know, so small they tried to make him a, an off-the-ball linebacker when he first came into the NFL. Those two guys, I think, are going to be problems for this Chiefs offense to, to block. And if one of those guys is able to create a couple of big plays, you know, a couple of sacks here or there, or a forced fumble, you know, a strip sack, that could be the kind of outcome that changes the game.
3: Is Chris Jones also on the radar for that? Or do you think the interior and Kelsey and company will uh, neutralize him better than other folks have this, this postseason run?
2: I mean, Chris Jones is having a, a defensive player of the year caliber season. I don't think he'll mm-hmm. win it, but he's played every bit as well as any of the guys that are potentially able to win it. Uh, we've seen what he's done late in games this season we saw what he did in the AOC title game he's going up against the best offensive line in the NFL it's the toughest test he's going to have but he's definitely capable of taking over games and, and he has this knack that Aaron Donald had late last year as well of turning it on late in the game in the fourth quarter with the game on the line that's when Chris Jones says All right enough is enough I'm going to go make some plays and, and win this game so even if this is as good a an offensive line as he's going to face this year, I could still see him deciding late in the game, all right, it's time. I'm going to get you know a couple of big plays here and I'm going to screw up your drive and you're not going to have a chance to win this game.
3: How much emphasis do you put on the Mahomes cap percentage uh, in terms of the Chiefs cap number mattering on Sunday?
2: I don't think it really matters on Sunday. I, I don't know okay. that it, it matters generally. Um, I think when you have a quarterback as good as Mahomes, there's kind of no do- dollar value that you can attach to it where I think it becomes a problem. He's so good, he can offset whatever margin you lose around the edges. Mm. Um and I think that contract is structured in such a way that it's not particularly onerous on the Chiefs anyway. It just it's a, a large enough number that they have to work around and it's why they do things like trade away Tyreek Hill, you know, and and go in a different direction rather than pay him 30 million dollars a year. They invest the money elsewhere and they sort of construct the roster just slightly differently, but I don't think it really plays into what we're going to watch on Sunday.
3: Um, Flipping the script a little bit here. The worst offense in the AFC next year will be who, Sam? Uh,
2: The worst offense, it's probably going to be, you know, Houston again. Mm. (laughs) They might might be a work in progress. They might, um, you know, draft a rookie quarterback, but they're still Mm. so far away. They need so much help. They need so much to come in and transform that. Probably still gonna be the weakest unit next year.
3: Mm. NFC, though. Who do you think is the NFC's worst offense early on? This is clairvoyant. Sam, this will be fun to revisit uh months down
2: the line. Yeah. NFC for you. This definitely go. well. There's no way this unravels. <laughs> um, Houston
3: Texans is a good bet. It's always a good bet.
2: Yeah. Just based off recent evidence. Yes. I think Chicago probably does enough to improve that group. Justin Fields, you know, has the potential to kick on. Um, I don't think they're gonna be one. Hmm. I mean. Green Bay would be interesting if they traded away Aaron Rodgers, you know, and they turned to Jordan Love and that didn't work out. I could see that happening. Uh, and he, I, The Cardinals, actually, now that I think about huh. it, are probably the most likely one because they're going to be without Kyler Murray for most, if not all, of next season. They don't have a coach, you know, yet to, to fix that on the right track. They've lost a lot of talent along the way. I, I could see that group struggling pretty badly.
3: Do you think by early next week, if they don't have a coach, Steve Palazzolo gets a call from Arizona? Is he in the I running think he's here?
2: Only, I think he's only interested in GM jobs right now. I can okay. ask him. Steve, you're not in the running for head coach jobs. You're just a GM? Oh, no, no, just GM. Just GM. Got just it. GM.
3: What about you? What if you get a call? Like, say, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, you're like, yeah, let's let's see. Let's I can fix this.
2: I mean, I'm going to need to know the specifics on the guaranteed money before I'm going to mm-hmm. accept the job or not. You know? Because I can... I can run an organization to the ground pretty quickly to get those five years of payout at the end of it. You know, just Mm. live on a beach for the rest of my life. I could do that.
3: There you go. I like it. Um, Team with the most holes to plug via free agency this year is going to be who? Sam. Sam.
2: I mean, I think there's a few of those teams, you know, picking at the top of the draft that have very, very problematic rosters. Chicago needs pretty much everything. Houston needs pretty much everything. The Falcons need pretty much everything on defense. Like there's a few Mm -hmm. of these teams that need to address a lot of their roster. And I mean, it's not going to happen in free agency. It's not the greatest free agent crop. Um, It's going to take the entire offseason. It's going to take maybe some trades as well. Uh, But those are the teams I think with the most ground to cover.
3: Hmm. I was not expecting you to throw the Falcons in. Obviously, I'm a Falcons guy, at Atlanta, and um, I guess more on defense. You you have less questions yeah. on offense. It's just strictly a defense thing, in terms right. of and obviously and you know they have a base. question
2: mark. Yeah, and they have a question mark at quarterback. But I think overall yeah. that offense is in pretty good shape.
3: Um, one playoff team this year who will not be back next year. Who do you feel the most confident made the playoffs this year that will not be back next year?
2: Um, I could see the minnesota vikings not making mm. it next year I and mean, they dramatically overachieved this season i think they mm. were kind of found out as soon as they got to the playoffs so unless they do something to kind of change the trajectory a bit it it would wouldn't shock me at all if they got you know the other end of luck and just didn't have that same kind of season at all
3: afc who do you think it is
2: um hmm I think most of the teams in the AFC are kind of taking care of themselves for mm-hmm. long term success. Actually, like you could see Miami maybe not having the same kind of joy next year. Um, but actually, the AFC, I think a lot of those teams are going to be back again. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I think Baltimore is always, always volatile, right? Like whatever happens with Lamar, they could easily flip out of that and uh, sure. seeing what the Steelers look like next year. And that's just a, and then the Cleveland Browns just being a huge what if. Uh, we'll see what that, because if Deshaun, it looks like he, did down the stretch here next year for all of next year then that's just uh, that oof that's a that's a rough situation um your favorite final two here for you sam me being a tennessee guy and a falcons guy i have two different questions for you your favorite 2023 tennessee prospect is who that you've looked at who do you think is it darnell wright is it jalen hyatt is it hendon hooker who are you highest on of this class for tennessee
2: I think it's probably Hyatt. Um, Hmm. I'm so, so kind of just new into this class, though. I'm way – I kind of come to the draft after the NFL season um, and get into it with a fresh set of eyes rather than tracking it all the way through college. So Hmm. I'm just kind of scratching the surface of my draft prep, but I like what I've seen from him so far. Have you – did you watch any of their offense this past year with Heupel? Not much, no. Hmm. I haven't haven't seen a ton of it.
3: Okay. Um, In terms of the Falcons – your reaction, Sam, if you're doing a live show, your reaction if the Falcons take B. John Robinson at eight this spring, what is your reaction? How Walk us through what what your reaction is here.
2: Yeah. So, you know, obviously, PFF is is at the forefront of the running backs don't matter kind of thing, or you mm-hmm. don't take a running back in the first round. I actually don't hate the concept of a first round running back, but I think for them specifically, it's not a good idea. And at that that high, it's not mm-hmm. a great idea either. I think. You know, there are teams out there like he's being talked about to Dallas a lot at where they are 20. Yeah, that I think is reasonable. Like, I I don't hate that as a concept. It's kind of it's easy. It's sort of a little bit of a punchline because it's Jerry Jones and it's, of course, what he would do. Mm. But I don't think that that I think that makes a reasonable amount of sense. And it's not an egregious allocation of resources or or money. But for Atlanta, like their run game was good. Their running Mm. backs were good. Their offensive line is good. Like, I don't see why you need to go after a guy like that, particularly when you do have other needs. And at aid, I think it is getting into a different kind of territory of opportunity cost versus number 20 overall.
3: Did you see enough from Ritter to think that he should be the, the guy for the next three to four years?
2: I don't think you can see uh, – you could have seen enough of him, or from him, but mm. the flashes are there if you want to convince yourself that, you know, you can go that route, I think. I think because this is a team that has the most run-heavy attack in football, because Mm -hmm. they've got good players on the offensive line in in the backfield, they've got good receivers as well once they they get all healthy, I think they can talk themselves into that. Or, you know, obviously they could be in the market for one of these veteran quarterbacks in in the merry-go-round this offseason.
3: Last thing, um, the TJ Hawkinson thing kind of went under the radar in the middle of the year where they just traded him to an in division rival and we're like all right this is not where like we're just we're getting off this and the vikings were like yeah sure but i wonder like with kyle pitts could you see a situation where kyle pitts gets moved early on where they're like all right we got it like drake london was i think he was the highest graded rookie pff receiver this year and um, that came out this week so you you feel pretty good there The really trade happened and that was a disaster but like could, would that be the most surprising thing in the world at the Falcons traded Kyle Pitts?
2: I think it would be pretty surprising. I mean, number one, okay. the kind of sunk cost of how high he was drafted. Number two, mm. he's capable of being so much more than just a tight end. Like mm. they should be able to figure out a way that he is an absolute beast within that offense, even with Drake London there. Like th- those mm. two should be able to coexist in the same system and give you a pair of really potent receiving weapons. Um, So I think giving giving up on him or moving him on at this point would be like an incredibly quick decision for a guy that was being talked about as a unicorn in terms of skill set, in terms of what he could do when he was coming out. Like if you if you decided after two years that we can't get that out of him, that feels very kind of knee jerk to me. I like it. Uh,
3: Sam, thank you so much for making the time uh, this afternoon. I greatly appreciate it. Always great uh, checking in with you and uh, learning um, from you with all things NFL. So uh, go listen to Sam and Steve over on the PFF NFL show. It's great. YouTube.com, all that good stuff. Like and subscribe. Check out PFF.com. Become a subscriber and all that good stuff today. Keep up the great work, my friend. Enjoy the week. And uh, we'll have to check back in again
2: soon. No problem. Thanks for having me. Take it easy.
3: All right, hello, and welcome back, Chase Thomas Podcast. Taping this on a Wednesday afternoon, I got a first timer who is ready to go because his Oregon Ducks are a preseason top twenty-five baseball team. Here, as college baseball is ready to ready to get kicked back off. It's it's wild that we're here, but Coach Waz, are you are you ready for the season to begin?
1: Uh, well, I don't know if you're ever really ready, but you know mm-hmm. we're going to be ready. There's no doubt about it. By the time we tee it up on the seventeenth.
3: I love it. What's the coolest part about being the coach of the Oregon Ducks?
1: Um, uh, I don't know. The coolest part, boy, there's a lot of cool parts about this job. I'm really lucky to have it. Um, mm. Showing up to a place like this every day, unbelievable. I, I mean, I love my staff being around these guys every day. They're young, they're knowledgeable, they're like ultra passionate. They're just awesome. Um, mm. And so I love that part of it uh the facilities are amazing being a duck is just it's more fun to be a duck it's awesome around here
3: what's the biggest difference um be going to an oregon baseball game versus any other game around the country what have you noticed is different about attending an oregon game
1: um wow um an oregon game in general uh just it's college town people love it Mm. um you know the ducks are the brand of the duck and just the energy that goes along with it with the actual duck himself is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, The environment that the fans bring to the table every single day for all the sporting events is unique. Um, You know, the, the whole web of, you know, having the cheerleaders and the duck and the motorcycle and the, just all the, all the things that are identifiable, I guess, to the common public or Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, really neat, you know, to, to have a, Like we're gonna have a first pitch banquet next uh this coming weekend and
0: Mm.
3: to have
1: the guy that actually rides the Harley that's you know, (laughs) a totally authentic Harley that the duck rides into the football games on every single day and and he wants to roll the he wants to roll the Harley through the actual banquet room and and, you know it's just Is that happening? uh I'm, i can't disclose whether okay. it's happening or not but i can tell you just the things outside the box the innovation that phil knight's had with nike trickles all the way mm-hmm. through this place because it, it doesn't go without phil and that relationship is really unique so we're lucky
3: can you drive a harley are you a or ride a harley i guess is the right way no
1: i'd hold on for dear life <laughs> I'm not, uh what's I'm, something about that... that fun i guess
3: well, what's, uh, what would surprise folks, Oregon fans that are checking this out? Like, what would they, what would surprise them about you? Like, it may not be in a motorcycle, but what do you do for fun? Or what's something about you that a lot of folks may not know?
1: Wow. Um, I don't know, I like to fly fish, although I don't get on the river a whole lot. I okay. really do work an awful lot and I'm with my family when I don't work. And so I actually probably a pretty boring guy. Mm. Um, but um you know i love my family uh you know and where's the best place to
3: fly life? fish in oregon that you found what's up? when you have time where's the best place to go on the river and fly fish if you could go this weekend where would you go
1: well i could walk out of my office right there and fly fish in that river right there or drive <laughs> there five minutes up the road that way and fly fish in one of the best fly fishing rivers in the world mm. uh you can drive down the roseburg and fly fish down there and you know catch steelhead it's this is god's country man you can the outdoorsman that's looking for a place to be able to you know uh like shoot deer and and just all kinds of stuff wildlife i got wild turkey running in my in my backyard and uh you know we've got bear running around in the in the woods behind my house it's it's a it's a different place when it comes to stuff like that it's awfully fun
3: i like it i like it um what was your favorite moment from this past season that you've uh, that you had some time a couple months later? You're like, man, that was that was a good time. That was a cool cool thing that happened last year. What was that for you?
1: Watching Josh Kasovich's development. It was hmm. a daily basis deal. But when I walked by him in a lock in uh, in the tunnel going, we had finished practice one day. Uh, we're done. We I went with the team. Uh, part of the team that had an evening lift that uh, after practice, so I was with the pitchers. Went to the weight room, came back to the facility, was walking back uh, after I showered and lift was over. Practice been over now for about two hours. And I was walking out to my car it's pretty late. Um, and Josh Kasovich is walking past me. And I'm like, Josh, what are you doing? He goes, what a great chance. It just started to rain. I get a chance to go throw some balls uh, that are wet and field some balls that are wet. I was like... <laughs> Got it. You know, and then for him to be the highest drafted shortstop in the country last year out of the college ranks, uh, Mm. no shock. And that's a guy that, well, he had ability coming in, but he worked his way to where he is with the coaches I have and his development is just, watching that evolve on a daily basis is probably one of the most fun things to watch last year.
3: I love that. Um, You get one do-over series. Which one do you take?
1: One do-over series?
3: Mm Mm-hmm. One series that you went going in, you were like, I think it's going to go this way. And then it didn't for whatever reason that you're like, wow, that was just weird. I don't know why this series went that way.
1: Um, There were two. I didn't think we played well in conference tournament. And I didn't think we, I thought we played okay, but we came out on the wrong side of the scoreboard against Oregon State last year, which was mm. weird for us because we, the year before we'd beat them, I think four out of the five times we played them. And so that was unexpected, but I didn't think we played poorly against them. I didn't think we played poorly in a conference tournament, but the results didn't go to our favor.
3: What was different about last year's team that surprised you after the season? Like, So you had this idea of what this team was going to be last year, and then it ended up being something else. What was something that just was different that you found out as you coached the team?
1: How much relationship-driven the team was. Hmm. Uh, they, they wanted a relationship with the coaches – Uh, One-on-one, one-on-one relationship with each coach and each coaching staff member. And that equaled practice to them, not the three-hour traditional old school practice. Mm. Um, I think this generation of player wants more of a personal connection, a one-on-one type thing. Mm. And not that it wasn't on a radar screen before last year, it was. And we did tailor make our practices for one-on-one, but I think last year's group was one that uh, it, it hit me that it, it it is clear. These guys really do want the one-on-one connection more than the traditional stuff.
3: Why do you think that is?
1: How they were brought up. They were brought up with lessons. They were brought up with one-on-one development sessions. And so mm. why would that end now? That's all they know. And so the coaches huh. that uh, are willing to adapt probably are going to have more success. And the coaches that are willing to say, or aren't willing to adapt and they're not on board with that kind of stuff, we're probably going to get passed by pretty quick because these guys aren't going to give you their attention.
3: That's interesting. Um, Is that the biggest thing that's changed since you've been coaching in the college ranks? Like, is that the biggest change uh, that you've seen or is there another thing that you've noticed over the years? That's, it's been a big uh, adjustment to the sport.
1: Um, Yeah, that's the biggest change for sure. Hmm. I like it. How to talk with an athlete. It's, it's no longer a, a, you know, Back when I played, it was real simple. You know, if a coach mm. told you to do something, um, you did it because he said so. And if your parent told you to do something, you did it because that parent said so. And if you asked why, they, they said because I said so. And that mm. was the answer. And that was good enough. And that's just what you wore and what you did. And that was the expectation back then. And it's just not the way it is uh, now. And so uh complaining about it's the wrong path it's not going to change if you complain about it you're just going to sound grumpy and you're going to sound outdated and somebody that nobody wants to play for so um better get on board with their language or else boy oh boy that ship has sailed
3: there you go um what was different or uh what did you learn about last year um uh, about yourself last year as a coach what was uh something that you were like okay this huh this is uh something I gotta maybe adjust or this is something that I had in me as a coach that I didn't know I had what did you how did you evolve as
1: a coach last year listen more talk less um hmm. and I'm trying to evolve even more this year with that and every year just listen more talk less
3: I like it um what is is there a series that you're most excited about this year they already have circle that you're like, this is going to be fun. I'm excited for, for this weekend.
1: The next one, the first one, the next one, that's the best one. Yeah. That's all I care about. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun.
3: Are you a fan of the mid, are the midweek games helpful to, to you and your staff and your, your players? Do you, do you like that one game midweek?
1: Love it. Love I, get it? A chance, I get a chance to be around my team and, and my coaches. Any, yeah. any day is a great day. Do the players or, like it? Love it. Yeah. You, you learned it if you didn't. I mean, that, that's all we learned in COVID, right? I mean, we yeah. learned a lot, but the biggest thing in COVID is, is it it, it can go away and see so better. Yeah. Cheer up, you know. Your good days, your bad days. At least you're together and you get to play. Mm. And and if you simplify it back to the fact that you know, hey, we you're telling me I get a chance to play today? Yeah, coach. Mm. Great. I'm in. That's that's a great day then, because at one point mm. in time that got taken away from us, and that sucked.
3: Yeah um it's just interesting because like i'm a tennessee guy and i got all these tennessee games and like uh, the tennis maybe it was just more of last year where those tuesday night games where it was like 20 to 1 to xavier and then they're gonna have the mercy rule this year for sec teams where uh conference games though where it's like 10 or more after i think the seventh inning and Tennessee would have run rolled like five teams last year in conference play if that had been the case so it's like I've been kind of spoiled uh being here the last few years but like I don't know it was just interesting that there's this blip and then you have this uh weekday starter and then you get into the weekend and the meat of the the meat of the calendar each and every week but uh, you still do that so I was always curious from different staffs and different coaches and players like uh what they see out of those games um What do you think will be the biggest change about this year's Oregon baseball team that might surprise folks based on what they saw last year?
1: Um, I think that they'll just see the continue, the evolution of what we're trying to do with the program. We're we're bigger, stronger, more physical, and we've got guys that one through nine can hit the ball over the fence. And at one point in time, I think Oregon was known as a team that was just going to bunt and play for a run. And the squeeze bunt was going to be the most offensive play that we're going to run and and now i don't know if we're going to squeeze bun at all this year i mean we <laughs> might but it'll be in the bag of tricks i guess but i think we're going to have a chance um to score some runs uh in a physical way that's been something that we've been trying to to uh, to really develop in this program and and um you know my time in the sec there's some really good things about the sec and i like the fact that the sec motto and the player uh I guess the player comp is a big strong physical guy that can hit the ball out of the park and score runs with one swing of the bat and and I think we're going to be able to do that and have been trending in that direction I think this year we're just going to continue to go down that road even further
3: it seems like that's what most fans like too right and players like is that more fun for everybody involved
1: yeah I think so chicks take a long ball
3: (laughs) exactly exactly um Players you'll miss coaching the most from the last year's team?
1: Well, I mean, you know, we had great players. We had Josh Kasovich. We had mm-hmm. Anthony Hall. I mean, those guys are really, really good. Adam Meyer was really, really good. You know, those guys were high high draft picks. I still miss coaching Aaron Zavala, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, from the year before. He's a great, great story. Um, all of them for me. I mean, it, it's, they're no favorites. It's just they're mm-hmm. all, they're all my fa- They're all different. Um, some of them have better stat years than others, but just being around every one of them every single day, it's, you know, you when you when you don't get that chance to be around those guys, then the next year, I mean, when Kenyon Yoban walked in my office yesterday and he's going down to big league camp, you know, that was a couple of years ago that he got a chance to play for us. But I miss him just like, uh, you know, when Cole Stringer rolls in. And I didn't get a chance to coach Cole Stringer. He signed pro when I first took this job, but he's out on our mm-hmm. field yesterday introducing himself to a lot of guys that didn't know him. I mean, I miss string, you know, and I mean, that, that dude and those kind of guys, um, I don't know, all these guys, when, when you just value the time, you get to be with them because, you know, it doesn't last forever.
3: No, the season, it flies by, man. Um, who was it, Speaking of that, who was a kind of a tape hero that didn't light up the stat sheet last year for your team? Who was someone that most fans may have overlooked um, on your roster, but who you saw just contributed so much on and off the field for, for your team?
1: Tanner Smith, the guy, hmm. pro- he got a chance to have like every record in school history. And, and, uh, I don't think he gets the credit that he probably deserved for it because hmm. he just is so consistent. Um, he's, he's not been the flair of the dramatic, but he's just been ultra consistent, uh, throughout his time and him. And then Gavin Grant. You know, he's been like the glue up the middle for us defensively. He does, I mean, he just does so many great things. He executes, he can hit now. He's bigger, phys- more physical. He was just a little punch and Judy guy when we first got him. And now he's mm. much, much more physical. Credit to Daryl Hunter in the weight room and, and Brett Thomas and Coach Marter with the hitting. I mean, this guy's turned himself into a, a real physical hitter. Marcus Ankles, our defensive coach, and he pretty much brought Gavin here. And, and Gavin's just been the glue. He's going to move over to shortstop this year. And he's, Played tremendous shortstop for us already. Um, Those guys.
3: Players folks don't know about yet at Oregon, but we'll know about soon this year.
1: Mm. Long list, man. (laughs) Uh, Let's start international. Let's go Riku Nishida. Uh, Yeah, Japanese, uh, transferred in, led the Cape Cod League in stolen bases, second baseman. Japanese flair, can fly, can really do it. Sabine Ceballos, Puerto Rico, third baseman, first base, catcher. He can do pretty much at all. Uh, power bat, stud, uh, San Jack Community College, drafted by the Angels. He's here now. We're lucky. Um, you know, John Jaha's kid, Jackson Jaha, can really hit. He, he can be used as a two-way guy. He's a freshman, was drafted by the Mets. Mm. Uh, he's on campus right now. Um, Dominic Hellman, uh, the guy's a beast. He's 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He plays shortstop, and he hits the ball over the light towers, which I've never seen at our field. Um, hmm. he's, he's an amazing talent. Drew Smith, third baseman from Clovis, California, Buchanan High School, absolute stud. He was on the, the national radar with the summer circuit, area code guy, all that kind of stuff, real good player. And then the Canadian guys, you know, whether it's Matthew Grabman on the hill or Turner Spoljarek on the hill. Owen DiOdotti with the bat. We got a lot of Canadians right now that are really good players that are new to the program, and uh, the, it was a ra- it was a highly ranked recruiting class. These guys are, and there's a lot more that I'm not even talking about. But those guys, just off the top of my head,
3: I like it. Um, biggest off season thing you found yourself thinking about? What did, when you get away from baseball for a little bit? I know it's still busy and the portal and everything else, but what uh what did you find yourself thinking about this off season? What uh, what occupied your time? What you do for fun, coach?
1: Oh, not a whole lot, to be honest with you. Unfortunately, I did get away with my family a little bit. Mm -hmm. To be honest, when I get away from baseball, I'm just trying to think about what, how can I, or why am I not doing a better job with my family? And how can I do a better job with my, my, uh, my wife and two wonderful daughters? I love them Mm -hmm. to death. And, um, the time away, I'm, I'm just thinking about them, to be honest with you.
3: Are they big baseball folks? Do they, do they both daughters love the game?
1: Uh, I don't know if they love it. They tolerate it. Uh, okay. I know my oldest daughter, Joelle l- probably likes it a click more than my youngest, Kelsey. Mm. Kelsey's a tremendous swimmer going to Arizona next year. Proud of oh, her. Wow. Uh, Joelle's in the pharmacy school at Purdue as a third year student. She's brilliant. That's awesome. Um, and she goes to Purdue baseball games even mm. without, without me coaching there. So she likes baseball a lot. Mm. Um, my wife just likes to be out and have fun and be around people. So, um, I think she deals with baseball as best she can, and she is my biggest critic. She she keeps things very simple when it comes to her suggestions and advice. And so, well, you know, we definitely listen to her.
3: Do you have any game day rituals that you do? For do you are you a sunflower seed guy? Are you a bubblegum guy? Do you pace around a certain way? Do you have a pregame meal that you like doing before any game?
1: No, believe it or not, I have the I eat the same thing pretty much every day uh, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I wait what are we
3: the- talking about here? What's your breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day?
1: Uh, oatmeal and an egg,
3: um, okay.
1: in the breakfast deal for lunch, it's usually a turkey or a tuna sandwich or peanut butter and jelly. One of those three options, uh, okay. with a can of soup. And then for dinner, it's either chicken, chicken, fish, or pasta, you know, whatever, uh, Miss wants to make for us at night. There you go.
3: No red Keep meat. Up. You eat healthy and you, you stick to it. I like it.
1: Keep it simple. I don't know. The, yeah, the more it's less i Man, probably the more productive I am with my family and my job. I would
3: agree. I I do the same thing uh, each and every day. It's a a fun time. Uh, Coach, how do the good folks check out uh, everything you've got going on this weekend for Oregon baseball? So for all the local Oregon folks and just Pac-12 folks who are excited about watching. Top 25, great program in the Ducks and are going to be bursting on the scene. What can they do to support uh, everything you've got going on with your program this year?
1: Well, buy season tickets. Come out to the ballpark. Uh, Park is awesome. Pat Kilkenny's dumped about. Another, uh, I don't know how many millions into the ballpark with graphics mm. and just beautiful things at the yard. Uh, fan experience should be awesome. Um, it should be a lot of fun. Just come out to the ballpark, take a look at these guys. I think they'll really like the engagement that our guys have with our fans, our community. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be out at our field. And uh, for them to come out and experience that, I think would be a, a great decision. And they wouldn't regret it. Bring their kids, bring the family, have some fun out there.
3: There you go. I wish uh, we got to get Tennessee over there. We got to get Tennessee, Oregon happening. Uh, that'd be a cool, cool backdrop, cool uniform. Yeah, combination. I like Tony a lot,
1: man. He's awesome. He's a great guy and friend of yeah. mine. And uh, you know, they weren't always doing the things that Tony's doing right now at Tennessee. So be grateful. He's. he's it done takes a great time. Job. Huh?
3: We take it for granted. It takes time, man. Like I, the last two years have been, and then you see preseason number two this year, and I'm like. I don't know. I moved here for grad school three years ago, and it's been uh, nothing but uh, nothing but fun times since. But I don't know. Like you said, you got you can't take this stuff for granted.
1: I see him all the time on the road. The guy's mm. just—he's uh, a worker. He's a great, you know, he's a friend of mine and a great competitor. And you know, he's—he's uh, not afraid to to uh, to ruffle some feathers, and <laughs> neither are we. And so, you know, yeah. if you wanted to try to come out here and ruffle the ducks' feathers, then let's go. Let's have some fun. Let's do a home and home.
3: Let's do it. That would be fun. Let's do it, Coach. Um, all right. Well, Coach, thank you so much for the time today. Good luck this season. Wish you and your team nothing but the best. I'm excited for college baseball season to be right around the corner once again. It's a great, great time uh, to be a baseball fan. And uh, like I said, hope, hope, for, hope for the best. You guys do great up there in the Northwest this year. And thank you so much for making the time.
1: Yes, sir. Sounds good, Chase. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker, or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, That you're interviewing Mm -hmm. um, pleasantness. You're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.